Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rudeutchen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. On this episode, my guest is Andy Baragani, a food editor for Bon Appetit, the wildly popular online platform and magazine for food and cooking. From his cooking tutorials to his Instagram account, he enjoys a deep connection with his audience. A highly personal piece he wrote for the Bon Appetit website, which detailed coming to terms with his Iranian heritage and coming out as gay, went viral and prompted an army of fans to get in touch. Recorded during the coronavirus pandemic, we enjoyed a long-distance chat to talk about growing up in California, the love affair that led him to New York, and the self-belief that has helped him succeed. Hi, Andy. Hi, Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're speaking to each other over Wi-Fi during the corona pandemic of 2020 and we're making it work (laughs) we're making it work where are you i uh left the city uh new york city um about three weeks ago and i'm out on long island so i've been here since yeah is that where you live or is that a no no i live i live in uh, downtown new york i live uh, around chelsea but i'm out in bellport on long island i uh, when everything started kind of hitting the fan, I decided, you know, I think I need to kind of get out of the city. And uh, I feel very lucky that uh, I've been able to kind of be out and uh, on Long Island and just be around nature with uh, two friends and able to kind of find some calm during these uh, chaotic, uncertain times. And how are you, what are you, what's your main coping mechanism? Um, you know... Uh, for me, while it took me a moment, a moment as in like, I'd say the first week uh, working from home, I started to just really kind of build that routine. Um, nothing so strict or confined since we already feel so constrained uh, by the circumstances, but rather that, um, you know, if I was getting up at seven in the morning in the city and having my coffee by 7.15 and getting to the gym by 7.45, I could maybe stick to something similar to that while I'm here. Um, I think for me, in order to kind of maintain that calm and some level of sanity, I do have to have some structure while also really reminding myself um, to be kind and gentle to myself and um, the ones that I love. What are you doing about grooming haircuts? Grooming haircuts. Uh, I have, my hair has always been one of those funny things for me uh, because it's very hard to tame. I have this thick, coarse, um, nearly black hair that while I've grown to love, uh, it can, uh, when it starts to grow uh, a little further than an inch, the curls start to sneak in. Um, But what I've been doing is just 
really letting it go for the most part, as you can see. Um, I know the listeners can't see, but uh, <laughs> you can see Danielle. <laughs> well, it looks very good. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you're the senior food editor of Bon Appetit, um, a platform dedicated to recipes, cooking and entertaining. And it's a lot more than that as well. Um, tell me a bit about what your role involves. Well, my role has really changed. Um, over the last four and a half years I've been there. When uh, I was brought on, uh, a big part of my job was to uh, develop recipes for the magazine, uh, occasionally for the website. At that time, uh, we just had bonappetit.com. Um, in the last three years, we launched two separate sites, uh, one uh, called Basically and the other Healthyish, which uh, I'm a co-editor uh, for, and then, uh, I was early on, I was developing recipes, writing stories, um, uh, doing some traveling. Uh, now it's really has changed. While I still develop recipes and I still uh, love to write the articles and feature stories for the magazine, um, now I also work on Healthyish. I do a lot of the videos uh, for our YouTube channel. Um, and I feel like I travel more than ever now. Uh, I mean, not at this moment, but uh, I was traveling quite a bit. Um, and I think I've also figured out where, uh, where I feel kind of, I don't want to say most comfortable in, but definitely what my strengths are uh, for the brand and for the magazine. Now, this podcast has a special format, as you know, and mm -hmm. while normally we like to be recording at Five Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in Mayfair, very sadly, we can't be there right now. But I was wondering if you could imagine a, a cabinet that we have there in the attic, in the cafe upstairs, and if so, what would be the first thing you'd put in there that best represents you? Oh. You know, I, I, I scribbled down my, my list of five things, but now I'm thinking about the order. Um, and I'm gonna change, I'm gonna go rogue, which is something that I, I think a, a lot of people who know me know that I tend to do. Um, I think the first thing uh, would be a book that was given by me, uh, by my, my aunt, who I have a very, very, close and unique relationship with. She uh, gave me a book. Uh, it was Shapenese Vegetables. Um, I uh, grew up in the Bay Area, Bay Area East Bay specifically, and um, Shapenese's restaurant that's in Berkeley, California, not too far from where I grew up. And um, I always had a deep love for cooking and food. And when I say always, I don't mean like my adult life. I mean, I have actual photos of myself as like a maybe three or four years old with the Fisher Price Play Kitchen. Um, and when I was around 13, 14, my aunt gave me this book. And um, I really wasn't aware of Shapenese at that point. Um, but she said, this is a very important restaurant. And uh, and the person, the chef behind it is, is very famous. And I thought, well, I want to know about this. So I looked through this cookbook, which didn't have any 
uh, lush, colorful photos of a food photography, but rather uh, beautiful uh, illustrations, um, if I remember correctly, by uh, uh, Patricia Curtin. Uh, hopefully I got that name right. Um, and just these wonderfully simple, uh, delicious recipe for vegetables from asparagus to zucchini and information about them and how to grow them um, when they're at their peak, when they're perfectly ripe. So that kind of started my fascination. Uh, I wouldn't say with cooking, but with Japanese specifically and the woman behind it, uh, which is Alice Waters. Um, about maybe two years later, uh, I was 15 years old and in high school, I uh, had this uh, desire to actually work at Japanese. <laughs> I, I laugh whenever I tell the story because I, well, I know that was me. I, a part of me still gets kind of shocked at where I found the guts to kind of go to that restaurant as a 15 year old. Um, I was a little bit of a rebellious type, I think, as a teenager, though. So, um, uh, and I, I went to the restaurant and uh, I I spoke up and I was like, I, I want to work here. <laughs> I just remember just like blurting out, uh, not in an eloquent way at all, just being like, I want to work here. And then she's like, I'm sorry, like, do you have an appointment? Like, who, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Andy. Uh, I would love to work uh for Japanese and I'm in high school, but I could come on Friday nights or Saturdays and I just, I just want to cook. And she directed me to Beth Wells and Beth Wells was the co-chef of the cafe upstairs. Japanese, uh, the main restaurant is downstairs while the cafe is upstairs. And then, um, I uh, sat down with her for a few minutes, and I think I just remember her facial expression, Beth's, and just being kind of so confused and caught off guard. And uh, she's like, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm in high school. I've always loved food. I've never worked in a restaurant before, but I've been cooking in different ways and uh, uh my mother's a great cook and i just i just want to learn like i i would love to be an intern here or apprentice and um i told her that it could come friday nights and saturdays the restaurant is closed on sundays um and uh she said uh when can you start and i believe about maybe a week later i came in and had my first trail which uh, I got a little tour of the kitchen. And then my first task, I'll never forget, was to break down two buckets of yellow onions. Eventually I got very good at that. And uh, I, I think I stuck with that task every morning for maybe the next six weeks. <laughs> um, and then eventually, you know, I would prep the mirepoix, a mixture of onion, carrot, and celery for braises or or soups and stews. I would pick the herbs, but I remember being told because I was so uh, I was trying to be so precise and get just each little parsley leaf and make sure there was no stem. And I remember Cal uh, Cal Petronell, who was the other co-chef of the cafe. He said, "We're we're okay with stems here. We we like the stems." And it was these little moments 
where he would I would just get this kind of knowledge that I knew I wouldn't get anywhere else. And did you consider at the time that it was, did you think of yourself as slightly unusual to be working in a kitchen when maybe most 15 year olds were kind of, I don't know, whatever 15 year olds do, hanging out at the mall or? Um, well, I think to be honest, I think Berkeley is a special place. And I think the Bay Area is a, is a funny place. Granted, it's changed quite a bit over the years since I left uh, and moved to New York. But um, I don't know if I had a typical upbringing. I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm first generation American. My parents are from Iran. Um, so I always uh, kind of had this need and feeling that I had to balance my American side with my Iranian side. Um, but food had always been there and it always brought me in a, a tremendous amount of joy and comfort. Um, but at the same time, I was very much a typical teenager and uh, I would frequent this venue called iMusicCast uh, in Oakland and the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. And I was very much into punk music and I had my mohawk and black nail polish for, for some time. So um, I definitely got into trouble back then but i also i i did have a lot of uh, uh i like to think integrity and discipline uh especially with 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 food and cooking and what led you to new york i'm gonna tell you something that um i don't think i've ever said to anybody before <laughs> um what i tell people is i i went to new york because i went to school there uh, I went to NYU. Um, the reality is, uh, while I did go to NYU, um, I transferred to NYU. And the reason why I went to NYU, uh, well, I wanted to be in New York uh, always. But what really got me there um, was because I had fell in love uh, about four months prior. I had met uh, a man there. I mean, we were 18 at the time, so barely men. Um, and uh, it was uh, summer. Uh, I had uh, uh, the summer prior to moving to New York, I had gone with my sister, um, who is 10 years older than me, but um, so she was definitely an older sister, but also a second mother in some ways. And I always thought she was very, very cool. So I didn't mind traveling with her. But anyways, we got to New York and I already had a few of my childhood friends in there. Uh, and uh, one was at Sarah Lawrence, Columbia, NYU. And so that was part of the reason for the trip. But while I was there, I had met this man and uh, I ended up just spending most of my trip just with him and not my sister or my friend. And neither of us were... Um, were out, but um, we would just find spots. We would spend the little money that we had to jump in a cab to just hold each other's hand or or smell each other's uh, neck uh, or to just walk around um, and just wrapping our pinkies together. Um, and I knew I was in love and I uh, ended up speaking to him every single day after I had left, and 
uh, I thought, you know, I always wanted to be in New York. I always wanted to be there. I always wanted to be on the East Coast. Uh, even as a as a kid, that's as much as I love California, it was always New York for me. Um, I thought, well, uh, I could go to school there and I have the men that I love there. So that's where I should be. And um, it took about maybe four months and I ended up transferring and uh, we were together and it was a very lovely uh, uh, for first relationship. <laughs> um, it was very sweet. Um, and well, we're not together and uh, we are still very much in touch and uh, have a lot of love for one another. What's the second thing you're going to put into your cabinet? Mm. Second thing. Um, I would say uh, to go back to maybe my teenage years, uh, it was very, I would say it would be the Nina Simone album, I Put a Spell on You. Um, I could really name uh, so many, many albums, artists, songs, um, but uh, as someone who is um, a lover of music, there was something about not just that album, but it was the first time hearing her voice and I couldn't stop playing her music. And it, I'm just thinking like this 16, 17 year old driving in his car, and having his friends in his car. And I would just be like, this is what we're listening to. Uh, luckily, uh, one of my best uh, friends at the time also ended up loving her too. And um, we just couldn't get enough of her voice and um, the, the the heartache and uh, that honeycomb uh, coated voice of hers, I just became obsessed and enthralled uh, of, of, of everything about her. Um, but but in a kind of larger sense, like uh, it also just takes me to a place where of the amount of women I love um, in so many different fields, but uh, especially in music, uh, from from Nina Simone to Janis Joplin uh, to Joni Mitchell and um, as, as Star and, and Diana Ross, like these are so. There's so many women in my life um, that have had an influence on me and have brought me so much joy and happiness, and um, that's always been a kind of pattern. There's always been important women in my life. And also, healthy-ish, the vertical that you look after at Bon Appetit, what does it mean, this word, for people who don't really, who don't spend a lot of time on social media? <laughs> <laughs> well, so healthy-ish began, uh, originally it was, um, our January issue was dedicated to kind of like, um, our January issue of the magazine was like, getting back you know it, it was kind of falling for the obvious trends of like okay it's a new year starting healthy let's think about what we're going to put in our bodies and we had different names for it it was like whether it was like the health issue um the the uh wellness issue we had a few different weird names that i'm, I'm forgetting of, even before my time and then eventually we land on it's the healthiest issue uh, healthy as in like these foods are sh should make you feel good in many different ways but ish as in like 
it's not sad looking it's it's still uh, there's still a touch of indulgence it should bring you joy this is still cooking it should still be um evoke a kind of feeling and sensation and please every sense uh, in your body so um we started doing that and and the healthiest issue ended up being really our favorite issue to produce uh on staff just because that's really the way majority of the staff cooks so eventually we uh kind of decided like well what if it just became its own website and then uh we brought on amanda shapiro who is the editor of healthyish and uh it kind of made sense for me to be uh the co-food editor there and uh i we launched it, I guess, yeah, almost th three years ago, three and a half years ago. And it's been such a wonderful space uh, for us to really carve out uh, stories that we would never tell in the magazine or on the website uh, and shed light on so many different purveyors and and people and um, uh, ingredients and dishes and the way we cook that I don't think uh, we would be able to do justice um, on the other verticals or, or the magazine. So it's been a, a really a big blessing. It's been very special to me, and um, I feel very connected to it. It's, it's definitely uh, a kind of little baby for me. And this whole healthy-ish idea feels like quite a modern thing of retox, detox. Um, would you say that's how you live your, how you live? I would say that um, I've lived, uh, I think at this point in my life, I think I know what works for me um, in finding that kind of balance between my kind of mind, my body, my soul. But I also am very frank and honest that uh, nothing is ever quite linear and that uh, I'm not always perfect with uh, sticking to a routine or um, uh, maybe getting to the gym as many days as I would like, or being able to meditate or uh, write as, excuse me, write as much as I would like. Um, but that's also kind of part of the kind of healthy-ish mind frame where it's like, it's okay. You do what's best uh, uh, for, that, for that moment, for that moment in time, that day, that week. Uh, and what I'm really trying to remind myself and others um, constantly, you know, now more than ever. But I've also lived a very full life. And um, Lord knows when I first moved to New York, I was living the exact opposite of healthy-ish. And, uh, uh, and, and my teenage years, I, I definitely have grown up and and uh, got a lot of things out of my system. But... Um, I think uh, I have no regrets in that regards. Like I think people, I'm always someone who's seeking experiences. Um, so sometimes those experiences don't always align with the, with the healthy mentality. But I think uh, in the long term, it's it's a good thing. And what and and keeping on this retox aspect, where do you go out in New York? What are the fun clubs or bars or places to have fun right now? Not right now, mm -hmm. obviously, but. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, definitely not right now. But I will say, like, I I really have calmed down. I think I I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but like I I think I turned thirty in November, and I think a part of it was there was something about that where I was like, you know, 
the way I celebrate my birthday every year is I celebrate it by myself. I, it's, that's been kind of a tradition each year. And um, why is that? Uh, really, I uh, it started out when I was maybe uh, twenty years old, I think, because I had like a disappointing birthday one year, and I was like, you know, I don't like I, expectations. I don't want to gather people around. I'm perfectly comfortable being on my own. Um, so I made a tradition of uh, doing certain things every year for my birthday, and that is going to really whatever exhibition I want to see, uh, whichever uh, museum in New York I'd like to go, um, have a dozen oysters, um, uh, go to whatever uh, meal I want in the city, anywhere in the city. So it could be as fancy as I want or not as fancy, all by myself. Um, I definitely sneak in a massage or some kind of uh, something like that, or some kind of spa moment for a couple of hours. Um, and while I have to admit, I it does go in and out each year. As as someone who's a former smoker, I do sometimes buy a pack and chain smoke throughout the day, and then kind of throw away the rest of the pack. But it's my little treat to me. And I always uh, I always go to this specific spot in Central Park, uh, where I sit and sit there for for an hour and. Um, at the end of the day, or or maybe the next morning, if I get any calls or texts, I will respond. But that day, selfishly, I kind of really try to just um, use it to the best of my ability. What's the third object? <laughs> um, the third object is uh, a very obvious one. If um, you uh, see me on Instagram or watch the uh, YouTube videos. Uh, it's a mortar and pestle. Um, while there are, I don't need a lot of tools in the kitchen. Um, I, I don't consider myself a cook who uh, needs a lot of things in the kitchen. I, you know, I, I, a knife. Uh, there's a few knives that I think are important for a home cook to have. Um, uh, but uh, I would say a mortar and pestle would be uh, definitely a thing that I can't live without. Uh, it's been uh, a tool that has been in my life since I was a kid. I remember seeing my mother take like a little tiny brass mortar and pestle uh, to break up the threads of the saffron threads into a fine powder with a little kind of piece of uh, raw uh, sugar cube. And that kind of acts as abrasive to to grind down uh, the threads to a powder and then bloom it in in some water um, to kind of fold in uh, to basmati rice to make saffron rice. And then seeing that Japanese, Japanese sirabachis to crush spices to the granite ones to make salsa verdes and pestos. Um, eventually, I was given one by uh, a friend of my mother's, and that's when I started collecting them. And from uh, then, I just would look for a mortar and pestle wherever I would go, uh, whichever new country I would go. So um, besides like having that kind of uh, solo birthday, the other kind of gift I grant myself is I go to a new country every year by myself, and it's been uh, something I've, I've, I've really been very serious and have I kept with it for, for the last 10 years, and that is also uh, something I'm very thankful for. 
um, and been lucky to do. But um, from Turkey to Thailand to Vietnam to Lebanon, um, I have mortar and pestles from all these countries to Taiwan. Um, Let's go back uh, to Iran. Uh, no, that's that's a touchy subject because um, the one that I have from Iran was given to me, but um, I've never been to Iran. Um, it's uh, it's the missing piece in 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 this whole talk and 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 and, and in my life. Um, I have tried many many times. Uh, I am. While I was born in the States, uh, my parents are from Iran. And because of that, that kind of automatically makes me an Iranian citizen. So I'm not able to go to Iran uh, unless I have uh, dual citizenship. I can't go with a visa. Um, so long story short, uh, if I had to go, it would be um, to get dual citizenship, which I actually did uh, two years ago. But I think because of the political climate, um, I don't have any hesitation, but a lot of my family did, and I've definitely have written some pieces uh, talking about my sexuality, and um, I think uh, they were just worried for me to go. And um, while I haven't gone, I do hope uh, that I go. I have to say, it's it's my greatest wish. Um, it's very bizarre to kind of speak the language as uh, Farsi and to study and and know that food and uh, to try to uh, really provide people with a sense of that culture when uh, I haven't been, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel right. So, but uh, I definitely uh, I hope to get there one day. <laughs> and you've written movingly about your racial background and learning not to hide your Iranian ethnicity. Tell me a bit about how that evolved for you. Um, yeah, I think um, I'm a, I grew up in a, my teenage years were uh, post 9-11. And I think um, while I was grew up in the Bay Area, a very kind of progressive area of the country, if not probably one of the more or if not the most progressive area in the country, I think I still um, went to middle school and high school and encountered some kind of uh, uh, prejudice towards my uh, Iranian heritage. Um, that combined, uh, you know, being a uh, closeted gay man, uh, I'll just kind of add it to it. Um, I think people just... Uh, where there was a sense of uncertainty and unknown of, of, of that that area of the world. And there was a lot of mixed messages going on with with the, the news and media. And I think kids are just at that age can be quite mean. And I definitely experience uh, quite a bit of that. But um, I... Uh, I, I did struggle with it to the point that I would not uh, not only hide uh, my Iranian heritage, but just straight up actually lie about it and and tell people that you know I wasn't Iranian and or that I was Italian or a different uh, I had a different background just because of the shame that I had around it, um, and it it did take me quite a long time to 
get comfortable with it. Um, going back to even my first boyfriend uh, that I met in New York, like he, I even told him that I was only a half Iranian just because I felt like that was better than being full Iranian. Not that he ever had like any kind of bad bone in his body, but um, uh, it just, it was just a, a shame and embarrassment. It was, uh, uh, and looking back, I, I didn't know any better, and uh, I'm also very thankful of going through that kind of process um, because it's it 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 adds character. It it it's um, it makes you more tough. And I was ashamed of my my coarse black hair going back to that, and how quickly I had hair on my arms, and uh, the beard that I developed at a, at the ripe age of twelve, and uh, my parents' accents and my funny school lunches, you know, at the end of the day, though, like, I, I know a lot of people have this story uh, in the U.S. and many different and many first uh, generation uh, Americans probably feel this way. Um, but I think it's important, important to kind of talk about it. And that's why I was uh, encouraged to kind of write a write a story for for B.A. Um, and talk about how in, in the piece I really write about how I became more comfortable with my heritage through through food and cooking um, as well as my sexuality um, and it was quite tough to write that piece to the point that I think a, a week prior before it was supposed to go to the printers um, uh, I told my editor I didn't want to publish it <laughs> it was like I had this moment where I was like why why do I have to do this why do I have to be the person who puts myself out there? Like, I didn't ask for this. I'm a cook. I'm a writer. Like, this is not, uh, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. Um, and my editor, who's been such a, such a huge supporter for me, um, Julia Kramer, uh, I think, uh, well, she never pushed me. She definitely encouraged me. And I think, uh, I knew at the end of the day it would be it would be better to publish it, and it was it was beyond me at that point. It would be, it, I would be doing a kind of service to so many others, hopefully, and it, it could maybe make people more comfortable, whether they were teenagers who were in the closet, or other Iranians, or other backgrounds, or other adults who kind of had this similar experiences. And um, when I did put that story out. I did not prepare for the way people would, would react. Um, and it's something that I think it's been almost three years now since uh, I published that story. People still write to me. I would say on a weekly basis. Uh, it used to be daily. And um, I'm, I have no regrets and I feel very uh, happy that I was able to put that out in the world. What is the fourth thing you're going to put into your magical cabinet? The fourth thing, I was really going back and forth. I, I knew the fourth thing was going to be something that had to do with my deep love uh, for fashion. Um, and I have all these kind of beautiful pieces. And I say pieces because it sounds ridiculous, but they really are pieces that I, 
I will hold on to and I will pass uh, my children and I will never sell and I love them and from a uh, beautiful uh, Dries Van Noten a jacket that I have to these Prada trousers that fit me better than anything else but I thought you know I I don't know if these are the pieces that I need to be talking about so um I want to talk about, uh, I think I would take my, well, it doesn't fit me and I don't know where it is at the moment. It would be my purple turtleneck sweater that I had uh, at five years old. Now, I would never wear anything purple at this point. And I, depending on the day, I don't know if I'd be wearing a, a turtleneck either. But the reason why I'm naming this purple turtleneck is because uh I have this very specific image of a birthday cake with the number five on it and my my grandparents, my mother's parents, uh, next to me. I'm in the middle. Um, and I have this biggest smile. And part of it, yes, it's my birthday, but part of it is because I loved that purple turtleneck sweater. I thought it was so chic i thought it was so fancy it was the 90s so there was plenty of like turtlenecks out there i think and more importantly um i wore that sweater maybe a week prior for some reason as a five-year-old i didn't know exactly when my birthday was so i wore it on what i thought was my birthday and my mother was, came in after work and she was like Today's not your birthday, honey. It's next week. <laughs> um, but I think that was the first kind of clothing item where I really became obsessed with. And I was like, I want to wear it all the time. I think it's so cool. I think I just want to pose. I would just want to. I think I, I thought I looked so cute as a five-year-old. Uh, and I really would never wear anything like that ever at this point. But um, that was maybe the very, 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 very beginnings of just having a deep love for fashion. The point that uh, when I was 10, 12, I would take my uh, mother and sister's Vogue. M my sister's boyfriend would read details in GQ. And so these were the magazines that were around. And I would look through the pages and see all, all these incredible campaigns and... Uh, started understanding different photographers and looking into uh, 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 Stephen Meisel and Patrick de Marchelier and Cedric Boucher and starting getting a sense and then it would be looking at who were who was styling all these um, these campaigns or these photo shoots and then when I became like a teenager I was like I would just hoard them and it was like forget GQ forget details I was looking through GQ style I was looking through interview I was looking through another uh, man I I mean uh, nylon I was just every bit of fashion I could get and um, it just what I would live and breathe and then when I got to New York while I was at NYU and working in still food in some way in restaurants and eventually worked in um, the internet of food magazine for a bit i um i wanted to take a break i wanted to leave food for a moment i i was like i i'm done with food i didn't think i would actually come back to it and i wanted to go into fashion and this was at age 20 i would say and uh i kept on seeing the stylist uh being credited in all these magazines 
Um, and I thought these shoots look so fucking cool. I don't know if we could swear, but, um, and I thought like, I want to work with the stylist. Like, I don't know exactly if I want to be a stylist, but I want to work for this man. And his name, uh, is Mel Ottenberg. And, uh, I ended up, uh, seeing him on the street one day. It was a rainy, dark, uh, February night, uh, around Astor Place, downtown New York. And I, I feel like no one was on the street. That's what it felt like. And I saw him. And again, just like the 15-year-old boy who went to Chez Panisse, the 20-year-old boy here went up to Mel. And I was like, are you Mel Ottenberg? And he was just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I just, just want to say, I, I really love your work. And he was like, oh, thank you. And that was that. But I think he was so kind of caught off guard and confused because this is 10 years ago. I don't know how many people were, I don't know how many stylists were well known back then, but he stood out for me and uh, I ended up going on the computer that night, finding him, found his Facebook. Again, I've definitely calmed down over these years. Uh, and uh, it's also, I think it, it was the time, even 10 years ago, I feel like you could get away with that. I don't feel like people can do that as, uh, as much. But, um, and I wrote him just this neat paragraph of just saying who I am uh, and my relationship to fashion and really kind of saying in many ways what I said uh, to the woman at Chez Panisse where like, I have never worked in a restaurant. I remember saying I've never worked in fashion, but I've always had this love through my mother and my sister and in my own way. And I would love to kind of get a foot in by working with someone that I admire. And that is something that I tell everybody who comes to me and wants advice when it comes to getting into any kind of industry or field is look for people who inspire you. Look for people who you want to work with. Look for people who you can learn while also acknowledging and being aware that you're not going to be learning things right off the bat every single day, every single hour you're going to have to be prepping some onions for some time um, and have that patience and be open and ready to absorb those bits of knowledge. So with Mel, uh, he responded to my message and he's, I'll never forget this. He's like, I'm, I'm leaving to go to Paris in a few days, but let's meet up when I get back. And I went to his office and I met up with him and uh he asked me a few questions what do i read who am i into what brands all the stuff uh and then i ended up becoming a his like uh intern and then ended up becoming like a, a a freelancer for him like six months later um and helping him with shoots and this is the time when he got Rihanna as a client and it was just so exciting and so much work and so much pain and it was um, such a wonderful time. I was 20 and just ready to just, it was, I mean, my first, uh, it, even the first photo shoot, everything was so memorable about it, but I think, um, Towards the end, I was aware that while I had a, I still I had a love for fashion, and I and that'll never go away. Um, I knew that uh, food was actually my calling, and uh, that I could make a uh, 
make a, a greater impact and there was more room for me to grow. And um, so I ended up going back into the food industry about two years later. What about, if you're thinking about fashion and then obviously fashion follows trends, what about food trends? I'm thinking about this obsession with, you know, recently there's been a lot of talk about plant-based diets, vegan mm. diets. Do you get mm. into those? So, I mean, I think like, like with any kind of industry, there's trends are projected and uh, they're, they're used to kind of... Uh, create content around and sales around and there's this whole kind of strategy behind it I have never been someone who um, it's not that I don't follow trends it's I've always been wary of trends um, I've all whether it's uh, with fashion and being kind of loving the things that kind of can look more timeless with food food is something where i don't know how it, it the trends never really felt right for me because it's such a necessity it's it's an act that many of us do we we everybody eats around the world you know at, at least once hopefully twice uh a day hopefully three maybe more who knows the trends now is like you have five six mini meals um but um i think there are plenty of trends out there. I think in general, like the plant pace, the plant, the, excuse me, the plant-based um, uh, kind of way of eating, while it has been very kind of trendy, I also think that is just a way that a lot of us should be eating, period. I don't know, like I would say that this shouldn't be a trend. This should be just the way a lot of us should be, uh, how our diet should be made up of. Uh, and that's really how I've eaten pretty much my whole life. I am not a picky eater. Uh, the only thing that I am very kind of uh, uh, limit or actually do not consume is processed foods. Like I, I, I really try to keep that to a minimum. Um, but in general, like I, I, I eat mostly vegetables um, and some fish, very little meat, um, whole grains. Uh, but that's because that's what makes me feel good. That's also kind of the way I was raised. You know, um, that's how we ate in in my parents' home. Um, we didn't eat out a lot. I eat. Uh, I do eat out a lot, uh, being in New York. But in general, that's that's when I am eating out. That's how I I consume. I usually go for a more vegetable based um, uh, diet. I, that's also the way I cook. If you look at the food and the recipes that I develop. Uh, that's what's drawn to me. I, I love cooking and playing with meat and seafood and, and breaking down whole animals and fish and and taking advantage of that. And um, I love animal fat and I'll never be, I have no plans or intention to be vegetarian or vegan. I have nothing against that. But for me, I do, those bring me great joy. But I also know that uh, um, I don't need too much of that, uh, just uh, a modest amount. Um, but I, I hope that if there's one trend that seems to be happening at this moment, it seems to be that uh, everybody's getting back in the kitchen a lot more these days. 
uh, uh, due to this global pandemic. And, and that's something I hope that uh, when we see calmer days and we're able to kind of interact with each other more and, and, and forget about the days that we were too nervous or scared to give a handshake or a hug or a kiss uh, to remember to also cook because it's um, one of the greatest things we can do is to kind of not only nourish ourselves but nourish the ones that uh, we love. What's your final object? <laughs> um, my final object, this was a this was a hard one. I really wanted to put something uh, with film because I do, I am a, a film junkie, but I ended up going for something that uh, is a material thing uh, that I hold on to and I check all the time to make sure that it's still there um, in my, uh, uh, my drawer, my top drawer. And that is a uh, Cartier lighter. Uh, that my uncle gave me. Um, my uncle gave me this lighter uh, in Turkey. I went away for about a month and spent most of my time in Turkey, but I spent some time in Denmark and and Hungary. It was like a little travel again, a solo trip. But in, while I was in Turkey, my uncle came from Iran along with my cousin. That was the first time I had met him. I was 24. For, um, my dad's younger brother and I spent maybe four days with him and, and my cousin and he's a smoker and he would take out the slider and he would light his cigarette I was also a smoker back then too and I just was like it was just one of those things where I'm like this lighter is beautiful it's so elegant it's so has these soft edges and a color that I would never, ever, ever have liked and, and would never, ever see anywhere in my apartment or anywhere that I live in, and that's gold. But for some reason, it was, I couldn't take my eyes off it. And he noticed. At the end of the trip, um, I, I will have to say, this is the first time, I don't remember if I said this, this is the first time I ever meeting him. Uh, he was not able to come to the U.S. because he only has an Iranian citizenship. And um, I couldn't go to Iran because I don't have uh, uh, an Iranian citizenship. So Turkey made the most sense. Uh, but at the end of the four days with him, he gave me the lighter. And he said to remember me uh, and uh, to hopefully seeing you sooner rather than uh, the 24 years it took to finally meet. He's an uncle who also, I think, uh, I, well, I wouldn't say I'm exactly like him. I, growing up, I think a lot of people said that we're similar. Um, physically, I, while I look like my father, I think my uncle, he's, there's this, uh, he has hair on his arms and his beard, my dad less so, and, um, I think my uncle is very kind of has this boyish quality, which uh, uh, I'm locking up at this moment for the podcast, but I definitely think I might have. And he enjoys 
getting into trouble and I, I do too and i think i think people just kind of thought, thought that there's some similar similarities and when i met him i could i could see that and he loved his kind of taste for a little bit of the finer things and adventure and um but it also just kind of reminds me of of him it also reminds me of iran a place that um feels so close yet so far i mean even being in in turkey it was like iran was right there but there were these kind of um invisible walls um uh, for me to get there but um yeah that's something that i still hold on to and uh that i'll never let uh let go and what's next for you assuming we're going to come through this moment of corona well it feels there's a, a lack of clarity i mean right now our offices are not going to open until we we say originally was end of march a while back then mid april now end of april um we're now filming at our home so i'm self recording um uh to put out videos which feels very funny so trying to kind of become a better shooter for that um but uh I mean the next thing would be oh god I'm I'm debating if I should say the big thing or not <laughs> um the next big thing is to uh to work on my book that uh I uh have been very hush hush about um there's been a handful of people uh that know about it but I've been um I've been slowly uh, working on on my manuscript and um I think for about the la the last 5 years people have been trying to get me to write a book but um I never felt like it was the right time and then um about a year and a half ago it felt like uh, uh there was enough uh to be said and for me to kind of take uh, enter that next phase so that's where I'm at Is it a, a recipe book or a memoir or a novel? Or? It's a it is a cookbook. Uh, it's a cookbook uh, that uh, does have quite a few maybe personal stories, uh, but uh, it really kind of touches on uh, how the kind of cook you want to be, um, and it has the dishes that have shaped the way I cook in my life, and kind of passing those. uh those foods and stories uh and techniques onto the reader so that uh, hopefully they can become the cook they want to be as well. Well good luck with that. And right. Andy, thank you so much for talking thank to you. me. <laughs> thank you Danielle. Thank you so good much. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was an episode of the Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.